Hi, my name's Clover, and you're listening to the Force of Nature podcast. This season, we're diving into confessions of a climate activist. What comes to mind when you picture an activist? Is it a person glued to the road? Someone with a reusable coffee cup? Maybe a teenager holding a microphone? Whatever it is, I want you to let it go, because I'm about to invite you behind the scenes. You're going to hear from activists on the stuff that doesn't get talked about. Burnout getting cancelled, the ethical compromises of making money, imposter syndrome, and even what it's like to alienate friends and family. See this as your how-to guide when understanding and navigating the nuances of activism, as well as the barriers to action in the climate space. Over the season, we hope to find some answers, namely what activism can look like when it's more open, honest, and human. Make sure to stick around to the end of each episode when our guests spill their climate confessions. After all, we don't need a hundred perfect activists, but millions of imperfect ones. Welcome to the first episode of Confessions of a Climate Activist. When I turned 11, I declared to my parents that I wanted to become an activist. It was a bold statement, built on the promise to myself that I wouldn't just be an activist, but I'd be the most devout one possible. 12 years later, and I'm a strict vegetarian. Except for when I gorge on salmon sushi, kitchen lights off, should anyone discover this shameful secret? Like my boyfriend, who I only half-jokingly remind me as murder when he orders a hamburger. I don't shop fast fashion, except socks. No matter how sustainable I want to be, I can't justify 12 bucks on a bit of eco cloth to swaddle my feet. Come to think of it, I haven't really had to buy clothes because of the amount I'm gifted by brands hoping I'll model them to my Insta following. I refuse to drive a car, aka a gas-guzzling, planet-destroying combustion engine, except when it's an absolute emergency like when it's raining. I've posted petitions against the toxic and destructive mining of copper and lithium from a smart device that wouldn't function without them. Over the past decade, my idealistic activism has become a parade of caveats and contradictions. Does this make me a bad activist? Some people think so. Followers on social media don't hesitate to share their disappointment in me when I post a photo of myself with a disposable coffee cup or traveling on a plane to a new speaking engagement. In the past, when I've read these messages, they often throw me into a tailspin of self-doubt and guilt. Now, I was curious to see if anyone else grapples with those same feelings. So we asked the Force of Nature community to share their thoughts on being a bad activist. My name is Eloise. I'm French, living in the UK. I used to be involved with Extinction Rebellion. I felt like that was proper activism because it was civil disobedience. Uh, I was on the ground doing action. But since I have trained in media to tell longer stories about the climate crisis and social issues, and because I'm not directly involved in campaigns, I feel like I'm not directly involved and therefore I feel like I'm a bad activist. My name is Shay, and one example that comes to mind is earlier this year when I had a really important meeting based on my work in communicating sustainability. And because I had no electricity for a while, I had no choice 
that is generator to power up my system. And I remember after that meeting, I started feeling like a fraud and I started feeling like an imposter, like you're trying to solve something, but you're contributing to it. What I have learned to do is to start with the things that I can't do, um, start with the choices that I can make and focus on the power of community and collaboration. The phrase, we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly has never been truer. We need everyone showing up in their own capacity and ability to address the unjust systems that have made it so difficult to navigate life sustainably. There is no such thing as a perfect activist. So why do we strive for it? Something that really stuck out to me here is the feeling of imposter syndrome or that question of, am I really doing enough? We polled our community at Force of Nature to see how many had felt pressure to be the perfect activist. And 100% said they had. 100%. When we asked them what it actually means to be a bad activist, people mentioned skipping protests. Others said being hypocritical or performative. Yet we are all living in a system that makes us complicit in the climate crisis, right? So short of moving to a deserted island, growing our own food and generating our own energy, I'm struggling to see how any of us can avoid hypocrisy or inconsistency. To help us get some clarity, I've invited my friend Tori onto the show. I'll let her introduce herself. My name is Tori Choi. I use she, they pronouns. I'm based in the UK, but I am from Hong Kong. And I would describe myself as a bad activist, specifically a bad climate justice activist, uh, which is a testament to the power of being imperfect uh, and showing up authentically in this space. And I'm also an organizer with a few different climate groups and coalitions. Very grateful to be part of this big, diverse community. And I'm officially a writer now, so I'm going to start using that. (laughs) I'm a writer. That's super exciting. Quick plug. You want to share the name of your book? Yeah. As a testament to the power of community, it's called It's Not Just You. And it's, yeah, all about navigating the mental health and climate crisis through a climate justice lens. Amazing. I'm very, very excited to read it. That is such a brilliant segue into the big subject that we're diving Mm -hmm. into today. Obviously, the intention behind this entire season of the podcast has been to talk about, you know, imperfect activism. I recognized in myself and in observing my community how the pressure to be perfect can be a source of burnout, can, you know, be a source of eco-anxiety, can prevent a lot of people from even wanting to engage in the community. We asked our community ahead of time, how many of you have ever felt that pressure to be perfect in activism? And amazingly, 100% of people said yes. 100% of people said they'd felt that pressure to be the perfect activist. And we asked them, you know, what in your mind does it look like to be a, you know, quote unquote, like bad activist? Like what's the inverse of being a perfect activist? And and people mentioned, you know, not attending protests, being performative on social media, being hypocritical. One person wrote, failing to practice what I believe is right. So it's clear that that pressure is real. And with that, I'd love to dive into the first question, which is, Do you remember the first time you felt that pressure to be the quote unquote perfect activist? I think the pressure to be perfect, if I'm really honest, and this might surprise a lot of people um, because I go on a lot about the climate community and how amazing it is, but it's actually in 
organizing in the climate movement, which I think a lot of people might find surprising in part because I talk about how much sense of community it gave me and how much joy it gave me as well. But I think because it is such an urgent issue and because we're seeing how our governments are failing to act accordingly, many of us feel like we have to take the world on our shoulders and you see your friends or comrades doing the same. And then there's this whole sort of narrative that's unspoken in many ways that you feel the need to replicate the same work to the same standard. And that can cause, as you mentioned, a lot of burnout, a lot of comparison, and just this need to fill the archetype of what we think an activist is without actually really asking ourselves, like, is this the world that we want to create? Is this a world where, you know, we want to be burned out all the time? And so for me, the antithesis to that is really trying to own those imperfections and say that they are as much a part of me as they are a part of my activism. And then also trying to encourage, you know, conversations about, hey, like we should totally live the world that we want to see, which is we want to be a community together where people feel like they can show up authentically and that they're not judged for making a mistake or, you know, for being imperfect. Um and that for me is kind of the world that I want to envision. So I, I own these things authentically, uh, or at least I try to, but it's a journey to say the least. I love that. And are there explicit examples that you can share of like times where you maybe internally compared yourself to other activists or where you felt like that kind of impossible standard was being upheld by other activists? Yeah, definitely. I think the standard for me kind of came from, as I mentioned, organizing, especially with direct action groups and feeling like unless I was showing up to a protest every other week, then my activism wasn't valid. And that's not to say that direct action isn't important, but I've been doing a lot more reading and understanding of different theories of change and why they're so essential to this movement. And that's really created that space for me to reflect on, okay, what what is it exactly that I can contribute and what's my best use of time? playing to those strengths. And so for me, I've really been trying to navigate that. And, you know, writing has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I love to write. It brings me a lot of joy. And so I've really tried to lean into that. But yeah, I would say that probably the times where I felt like I wasn't good enough was when I felt like I had to show up to a protest. But, you know, it didn't really allow for the nuance to understand, okay, how overstimulating these environments are for me as a neurodivergent person, like the accessibility requirements, the costs of getting to protest all the time, trying to juggle work life balance on top of that, you know? Um, and so for me, I've kind of come out the other side being like, yes, it's important, but we've got to broaden this view of what activism entails uh, and recognize that direct action is one part of the puzzle. That's such a powerful reflection and I think it really speaks to this kind of like image and archetype of like what an activist is like who they are how they engage like what their theory of change looks like um and you've kind of spoken to that you know within the movement and maybe your own like personal comparisons and reflections from your perspective to what degree do like external kind of sources also perpetuate that idea like I'm thinking of the media journalism I remember, uh, I think it was around the time of COP and it was when like Greta was suddenly, you know, in the media and in the news and 
this ridiculous headline about her being spotted on a train like with some plastic oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like I, I'd Gosh. love to hear from your perspective like you know what are those other sources of this kind of like perfection and activism and like why do you think we're trying to collectively like uphold this image of what activism is supposed to look like yeah that's a great question and oh my goodness you know I think every single one of us can remember the time when the media felt so compelled to focus on Greta eating from I don't know a with some plastic or something of the other. I can't remember explicitly. I, I think she was on a train. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, this is such a big distraction from the main, you know, culprits of this crisis. What are we doing? What are you doing to this young person who has literally dedicated their whole life to campaigning for a cause and hasn't necessarily asked to be spearheaded as the face of a movement? For me, it was just really dissonant. And I, I think you put the nail on the head there, which is that the media is complicit in this. They are obsessed with heralding heroes out of young people, but then tearing them down the next second because it sells stories. And because, as we know, a lot of the media is run by climate skeptic billionaires. So they have a great time lambasting us and humiliating us in the press. So I feel as though that's definitely a factor that plays into it. On top of the fact that, you know, we know that there are so many companies out there that either greenwash their image to make it seem like they're doing more than they actually are, or they try and deflect the blame by saying, what's your carbon footprint? You know, don't get me wrong, all of these things, like the individual actions, they do matter. But when you realize that people are trying to weaponize them in a way to detract from their accountability, and I say people being those in charge of massive polluting corporations, then you start to go, hang on a second. What's going on? And what it leads to is this pressure for us to be perfect. And it leads to a lot of people experiencing eco-anxiety and burnout. But it leads to a lot of conflict in this movement. And I've noticed that we get distracted fighting with one another as opposed to actually realizing that we are our biggest allies. And that, you know, this world is full of a lot of people who would want to see us fail um, because it harms their profits. And so for me... You know, I I have to vigilant. I can't even speak. I have to <laughs> vigilantly. We got that word right. Vigilantly ask myself: Is this a distraction from the work that we're trying to achieve? Like, why why are we fighting one another? Why are we saying mean things to one another? Why are we tearing each other down when, in reality, people are just trying to survive this confusing, messy world, and they're doing the best with what they have? So. I think a lot of um, mental health issues specifically for people in the climate movement come from that. We've fallen into such a cycle of like guilt and shame based activism and action that it can kind of become this like self-flagellation where it's like, oh, I feel such guilt about like not recycling properly or not eating like vegan or whatever that it's like, but those feelings alone are not inherently sustainable right and I think it's quite a healthy reframe to think like what are the actions and like what is the lifestyle that is consistent with my values but like building in a lot of like acceptance around your inconsistency and like fallibility because like we live in systems that make it inherently difficult to do the quote-unquote right thing you know so it's like giving a lot more grace 
Yeah, and and you have to ask yourself, why have I been put in this impossible situation where no matter how much I do, I'm still not able to live a truly sustainable life, quote unquote, you know? And I think when you start to ask those questions, you begin to realize, holy crap, this system was set up in a way to make people fail, you know? I'm not going to be berating myself anymore for being imperfect because I just feel like I'm doing everything I can with the resources, the time, the energy that I have. And we know that this problem goes deeper than just what we buy and consume. We know that there are systems which specifically prop up certain industries so that we don't have a choice but to consume through these means. And I also just feel like at the end of the day, a lot of the time people do try to employ individual actions because they don't want to get called out. They don't want to get humiliated. They don't want to be called a hypocrite. Um, and I think a lot of energy is expended doing that, which would otherwise, well, not necessarily otherwise, but which could contribute to them focusing more on the issue at hand, as opposed to that which they believe they have to do in order to be valid. Because you're right, like we've seen how Greta's been lambasted for using plastic. We have all been there, whether it's because we fly, whether it's because we've worked um, in an, a realm that people don't deem sustainable, you know, like we've all been there. And I think we just need to have frank and transparent conversations about why we're doing this, because a lot of the time it's a pressure. It's a pressure that no one else really sees unless you're in the movement, because you do get criticized a lot and it's really <laughs> tiring. Yeah. yeah, it's exhausting. Um I remember chatting to a really good friend of mine who's like quite a big, um, like ending plastic pollution advocate. Um, mm. and you know, she a few years ago was like speaking at this event and she was there for hours and the only food they had on offer was wrapped in plastic mm. and she forwent eating because oh she didn't want to have like a photo snapped of her, of like her eating plastic. And I was just like, this is so stupid and like the, yeah. it, by no fault of her own like we have created this kind of like culture within activism that is like such intense scrutiny and I think mm. it's also important to recognize that like as much as perfectionism perfectionism in activism is being upheld by like media I've been critiqued by people outside of the movement many many a time um and generally I find myself like pretty resilient but when that criticism is coming from, like, people you consider your peers, like, people you consider yeah. part of your community, and it doesn't always feel like it's coming in the most, like, loving, constructive way, that can be really difficult because then yeah. there isn't, like, that kind of foundation of, like, trust or just, like, spaciousness to, like, be human, to, like, not always be perfect, to make mistakes, like, and not have your mistakes be, like, more a definition of, like, your validity in the movement than like all of the work that you're doing every day to try and change things. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is also something that I've come to realize, like we need to celebrate our comrades and peers as much as we talk about things that they're doing wrong or things that we don't agree with, because I've realized that a lot of people are really struggling in this day and age, unsurprisingly. And a little comment or two saying like, I think you're doing amazing work or I'm really proud of what you've achieved goes a long way. So mm -hmm. I'm going to say that to you today, Clover. I'm proud of you. <laughs> You're doing great work. Did <laughs> because, I <worry. laughs> Because it can be so overwhelming to just feel, 
yeah, faced with so much negativity and be surrounded by people, even in your circles who don't feel like you're doing enough, who don't feel like you're good enough. And I do think accountability and like, you know, loving criticism is important, but it's also a matter of, like you said, like doing it in a community structured way, doing it in a way that is gentle and also trusting and really actually is a journey and not just like, you need to change overnight and do this. It's like, no, change takes time. Like we're all trying to do the best we can with what we've got. This kind of like upholding people to impossible standards, in my mind, sort of like falls into two buckets. So like on the one hand, which we've kind of spoken to, there is this attachment to like perfection, like living in a way that's like quote unquote consistent with your values, um, living sustainably, And then there's also this element of like the theory of change, right? Like what your actual approach to activism is. Um, And what I've seen a lot (laughs) in activism is like this kind of mentality of like, this is the way that I'm creating change in the world. Ergo, like this is the only way to create change. And I've seen that also in like some of the gatekeeping around like the language of activism of like, oh, you can only consider yourself an activist if you tick X, Y, Z boxes, right? And you you kind of alluded to that even like engaging in certain spaces, like engaging in protests, like if you're someone who is like overstimulated in that space, maybe that's not where you can yeah. show up effectively. Like I definitely relate yeah. to that. Um, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, like where do you think some of that comes from in terms of this attachment of like, my way or the highway and then we can talk a little bit as well about maybe like accountability and what that can look like in a more constructive way as well my way or the highway is such an interesting topic to delve into because i have seen it everywhere and i'm gonna hold my hands up i've been that person at times too where i was just like no like you can't do it that way it has to be this way this is what climate justice means and i get it like i get why it exists over the years i've learned that we really do need everyone in this battle, fight, struggle, if you want to call it that. My friend calls it a dance, which I love. Um, (laughs) She's like, why can't it be playful? Why can't it be creative? And I'm like, I love that. Um, So however you want to understand the road ahead. And I've just come to realize, you know, we need everyone, but also we're never going to achieve what we want in society if we really think that there's only one way to get there. And that is a sad reality for some. For others, that's a joyful reality. For others, you know, you might not even be bothered, but I think it's the lay of the land. And I've come across so many thinkers over the years who recognize that. And I was actually, you know, um, talking the other day on social media about something that Edward Said had said, which is that, you know, we have to be kind of uncompromising in the values that we hold, but we can be flexible in how we get there. And I thought that was quite interesting. And it's quite similar to what civil rights activist Loretta Ross says about how um, people who are heading towards a common goal, thinking the same way and doing the same things as a cult, but people heading in that direction and doing diverse things and employing diverse theories of change as a movement. And I think that's what we want at the end of the day, right? We want to be in a movement. We want to tackle this from so many different angles. And there have been a lot of social theorists and political theorists over the years who have really tried to hone in on what those roles can look like and what those theories of change can look like. And there's so many different types, so many different types. And at the end of the day, you have to meet people at where they're at. I'd love to hear 
another, you know, on this like kind of theme of like what it means to be like imperfect and examining your own role in these spaces and these movements. One thing that I've definitely struggled with is this kind of like not just like attachment to like how I'm perceived in different activist spaces, but like my attachment to like whether I think I'm being impactful. And I think that's maybe the base fear that like comes up for me when I have received like criticism or if I compare myself to another activist is like, is what I'm doing like even making a difference? Like, am I actually moving the needle? I'd love to hear from your perspective if that's something that you've also had to navigate in terms of like, is what I'm doing making a meaningful difference? Yeah. Oh, wow. Spoke to the heart, Clover. Honestly, (laughs) I ask myself this question pretty much every day. And there are certain days where I'm like, yeah, I think I've I've made a difference in this tiny little pocket here. And then other days where I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? I need to just like drop everything and go straight back into direct action organizing and stuff. And I'm like, calm down. It's okay. It's okay to take stock of where you are. That's healthy. But too much scrutiny can kind of mean that you spend more time thinking about that than actually getting anything done. So that's been a good thing for me to reflect on. But I would say, you know, a lot of this comes from living in a capitalist system, which tells people that they're only as good as the work that they put out and that your responsibility to do good work is down to you. And it's just such a huge myth because as I've mentioned, we're so much stronger when we work with other people, but also, you know, who's to say that me taking time to take care of my body and my mind uh, in community isn't part of that as well. You know, who's to say that being a creative person and wanting to go into a realm of writing and, and using that as one of my main forms of advocacy is a bad thing or a waste of time. We've been so heavily indoctrinated uh, through the system to think that there are only few ways to take action, be the change, that we start critiquing the things that are actually our greatest tools for that change, which is really profound and quite interesting and a bit paradoxical to me. And I also just feel like, you know, we're in a situation now where urgency is paramount. We're talking about X number of years to halt the worst of climate breakdown, 1.5 degrees. We're talking about, you know, tipping points and all of these things that make us incredibly eco-anxious or other, you know, psychoterratic emotions that people relate to. And with that comes the pressure that we put on ourselves to have this one theory of change, act in a certain way that may not be necessarily the most loving, but is the most urgent, and also do things that, yeah, we push ourselves out of our comfort zone to do. The latter, I don't think is too much of a problem, but it can be sometimes. And with that urgency, I know that it sounds counterintuitive, and I know that it sounds difficult to do, but slow down like slow down, you know, I know we are up against the clock. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that the situation is really, you know, uh, not serious because it's very serious. But my point being is that if you have the capacity and the ability to slow down, you might find ways to work smarter, not necessarily harder, more efficient, Um, and do the work that I think will actually create more impact in the long run because you're not going to burn out and you're not going to 
drop everything because we've all been there, right? We've worked so hard to the point where we're just like, I can't do this anymore. I literally can't do this anymore. And we have to find ways to make this sustainable. You know, I've always reiterated that sustainability to me is as much of a mindset as it is a practice. Just in response to that, like emerging from a place of burnout, have you ever neared a point where you're just like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely gotten to that point and I've had to check myself sometimes and been like, okay, it's a huge privilege to say I'm done because that is kind of um, almost not an assault per se, but a real disappointment to, I think, the people that I'm in community with. Not that I've ever said this to them or like said, I'm quitting, but you know, I've thought about it and I've been like, I, I know we can't afford to quit and I know that it would be yeah, really privileged and wrong of me to say I'm going to pack it all in. Um, but then also on the other side of it, I think it's not so much about quitting so much as taking breaks. I've reminded myself, okay, if I need to rest, I know there's somebody else out there who will take up the work, so to speak. And if they need to rest, then I'll do the same. And I think that we need to not frame this as, oh, I want to quit. But actually, like, how do we slow down? How do we put a pause? on a moment for a second so that we can make this sustainable, as I've mentioned. But yeah, I, I will agree though, that I've, I've been at that point and it's, it's not pretty. Um, you can imagine, and I'm sure you relate to this as well. Like when you get to the point where you're just like, what am I actually doing? Is this even worth it? It's always in a really difficult time. Like we wouldn't say that unless the situation wasn't great or was, you know, really bad on our health and our well-being. And then it's in those moments where I just have to remind myself, like, it's not just you, you're not alone, like, you can slow down. And I've, I've felt really held and supported in those moments. Um, I really relate to that. And I definitely, I have these, like, very consistent cycles where I touch on this feeling of, like, I'm not doing enough. So my way of coping with that is, like, being like hyper productive and like obsessive and like fixating and like throwing everything and then I become so resentful because I'm so exhausted and I don't have the energy for like any of the things that actually fill my cup like seeing friends like family whatever and then I get to this like really low point where I'm like I'm my body through illness or like mental ill health whatever like forces me to stop and then I come back and I'm like, I'm ready to go again, you know? And I, I don't know if I've found like a healthy version of that cycle yet, but I will say like time in nature, time in community, like having an identity and a lived experience outside of like quote unquote activism is so important to get that perspective. It really is. And I love that you brought that up because I've had this conversation a lot with people in different spaces that I've um, been. And one of the things that keeps coming up is like, who are you outside of activism? And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, the lines are very blurred. I'm sure they are for you as well. Um, Cause you know, so much of who we are as people and what we care about translates into the work that we do. Um, but I do also think that it is a really important exercise I don't know if you would call it that but a really important thing to do to really think okay if I am a change maker an activist a mobilizer an organizer whatever it is like what is it that gives you so much un unadulterated joy that may or may not be related to the work that you do and for me 
again, lines are blurred, but for me, that's foraging. And I think you probably know, like, I love love mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) I love mushrooms and it's so geeky and nerdy. Um, But for me, mushrooms and foraging are just, you know, it comes and goes with the season. So you're just like, oh, I never know what I'm going to find. It's like a game to me. You know, it's really playful. Like I go out and nature and I don't know what I'm going to find. I can go with friends. I can be alone. I can take a book. You know, every day is different. I I love to do that. And that's something that brings me back down to earth. It keeps me grounded, rooted even. Um, Very literally. (laughs) Quite literally. And it's something worth fighting for. It's something, you know, that you realize you love this planet and you love this earth and you love what it provides and what it gives. And um, I think in reflecting on that, it makes me feel like the work that I do is worth it, if that makes any sense. Like you have a yeah. purpose, you have a love. Um, I don't necessarily go to protests with like little signs that say, protect the fungus. Um, <laughs> But in my heart, I think I'm like, secretly, I'm like, I'm rooting for you, little guy. Yeah. I love <laughs> Big that. guy. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Before we go, one final request. Um, taking a leaf out of the book about friends at Climate Curious, we're inviting all of our guests to share climate confessions. Yes. Um, and we've also been inviting our community to share climate confessions. We set up a box at the Natural History Museum and got all members of the public to share, you know, what are those things you feel maybe a little guilty about or make you feel a little bit inconsistent? Yeah. So I'd love to invite you to share a climate confession. I will go first. I will lay my secrets uh, bare. Um, My confession, I was recently on holiday and I, I, I've been vegetarian for 11 years. I occasionally make allowances. Um, and on, on this occasion, my friends are eating paella. And I was like, I'm going to try some paella. I'd never had it before. And I ordered this paella and like the first bite was like so delicious. But then the guilt came crashing down like this rain cloud. And I was like looking at all the little creatures. <laughs> and I went, I went down this spiral. I was like, what about this like little prawn? Like, you know, maybe he's not going to go back to his family. There, like, I, it was so ridiculous, oh <laughs> ridiculous to the point where like I couldn't finish this damn paella, which is so unsustainable, right? Like the food oh waste and everything because of the guilt. So that's my like ridiculous mm. climate confession. Um, but do you have any climate confessions you would like Thank to share? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I mean, wow, you've taken us on a journey. I mean, like <laughs> from like going on holiday and having paella to having like an existential crisis. I mean, yeah, like you've ridden the wave and like sit with that and, and, you know, maybe it can serve some like space for reflection. And Oh, I hope so. I'm sure it'll be an Instagram post eventually. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hell, why, why not? You know, I bet a lot of people relate to that. Hmm, This is a really good question. This, this is a really bad one. So you'll, you'll have to, um, yeah, deal with this. But, you know, I know that there's a big protest that's coming this weekend and I'm only going to one day of it. Is that really, I don't know if that's a climate confession, but like you would expect people to drop everything and go to every single day of a protest, especially if it's like a really big one. But for me, I was like, no, I I want to stay at home and rest because I'm really tired. I know that's not really like, hey, that's, <laughs> that's not a- like, ah! 
No, but, it's a great climbing habit. You're making me feel better because I too am only going for one day. Of this yeah, protest. yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I'm like, I'm trying to wrestle with it in my head. There's a part of me that's just like, how dare you? You should be there every single day showing up with your comrades. And I'm like, yes, that makes sense. And yes, we should show up. And yes, everyone has a duty to fight for this planet. But at the same time, reflecting on just what we've spoken about, I'm so burnt out right now. And it's not, funnily enough, it's not actually to do with strictly climate stuff. It's to do with other work. And it's to do with like, kind of hosting a lot of people and like, trying to be a good friend and taking care of a lot of people. And I don't have resentment for that at all. But I do need to carve out space for myself to be like, I need I need me time. And, and this weekend seems to be like, one of the few times I can actually do that outside of the work week. So... That's my climate confession. Every time I speak to Tori, she teaches me something new. I love how she showed us that there's no such thing as a perfect activist, but also that trying to attain that is not only impossible, but debilitating. It feels important that we stop trying to hold ourselves to these unattainable standards. The more we acknowledge the good work that others do, the more people will want to become part of the solution. And hopefully we'll stop excluding all the people on the outside who do want to engage. On that theme, in next week's episode, we're diving into what it means to be an outsider and how it feels to be excluded from activist spaces. We'll be hearing from our Force of Nature community once again, and I'll be speaking to not one, but two incredible guests. Jaden Caulfield and Ben Hurst. In the meantime, if you enjoyed today's episode and are thirsty for more Force of Nature content, check out the first episode of season two. We explore the fossil fuel industry and its greenwashing tactics, including its campaign to distract us from systemic solutions by popularizing individual lifestyle changes. When you've listened, drop us a comment and let us know what you think. How did today's episode make you feel? Let us know by heading over to Force of Nature's Instagram at forceofnature.xyz and dropping us a comment. If you're between the ages of 16 and 35, you can join Force of Nature's growing online community and access our free programs and trainings, which help you develop the skills to take action. You can also find resources on our website. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, well, you know what to do. This show was brought to you by Force of Nature and One Fine Play. From One Fine Play, Kaz Refruzia is the editor and producer. Connor Foley is the producer and researcher. From Force of Nature, I'm your host, Clover Hogan, and this season would not be possible without Meg Stilwell and Isabel Flint.